0: Plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Right Lane, a podcast of the Tampa Bay Times. Each week, Times reporter Lane DeGregory discusses her stories and answers your questions. The focus is on craft. My name is Maria Carrillo, and I'm the enterprise editor at the Times. Today's topic: reconstructing scenes. These days, we're often not reporting from the scene. Instead, we're trying to capture information over the phone because of COVID-19. So we thought we'd talk about how to get what you need to build effective scenes. Some of Lane's most acclaimed and ambitious stories start with reconstructed scenes. Girl in the Window, The Long Fall of Phoebe John If I Die Young. We're going to use an example from earlier this year, a missing persons story. So let's start with Lane reading the top.
1: Gabriel's mom keeps replaying that night. She wanted him to clean the kitchen. Wash the dishes, she told him. Clean the counters. There's no room for groceries. Gabriel Cordova Tejada, 20, was lying on the living room sofa, studying for an exam he had to take the next morning at the University of South Florida. Okay, he said, without looking up from his laptop. But when his mom and younger brother came back from Costco on February 21, 2018, Gabriel was asleep on the couch. The sink was full. The counter cluttered with schoolwork and mail. Angela Tejada, then 55, woke him, fussing. She was stressed out, a little more angry than normal, said Gabriel's brother, Amelia, who was two years younger. But Gabriel didn't argue. He seemed upset with himself. He carried his computer into his bedroom and shut the door. Over the last few months, he'd been spending more time in his room. His family thought it was because his college classes were getting harder. I didn't think anything of it, Amelia said. The next morning, about 5.30, Amelia left to catch the bus to high school. An hour later, Gabriel drove his mom to her job at a nearby medical office where she works in collections. "'Gabby, are you okay? Do you have your lunch?' his mom asked. He said yes, and goodbye. "'Like normal,' his mom said. Gabriel was supposed to go back to their St. Petersburg condo, get his backpack, then drive across the bridge to Tampa to take his 9 a.m. exam. When Amelia came home from school just after noon, he saw his brother's phone on the coffee table and thought, maybe he forgot it. Minutes later, he noticed it was scratched. Someone had etched numbers into the screen. gabriels passcode. I unlocked it, Emilio said. That's when I found the note.
0: So obviously, you weren't there when that happened. Um, you're coming in a couple years later. So walk us through how you got that scene, how you pulled that out of those guys.
1: I was fortunate that the mom was willing to talk to me, so I told her I wanted to do an anniversary story on his death. Um, She was kind of frustrated the case had not gotten much attention, either by the police or in the media. So I started out by going over to her apartment and just sort of sitting down on the sofa and and chatting, tell me about Gabriel. You know, I think we begin just with that really open-ended question. We found out pretty quickly that our boys were the same age and had gone to the same high school, so we had these moments of great mommy-bonding conversation that sort of, like, eased the, the tension a little bit, you know? But she, she wanted to talk about Gabrielle, and so I told her, you know, I, I try to prep my people sometimes, like I'm going to ask you a zillion questions and I might not know what I need and you might not know where I want it, but I'm just going to try to draw everything out. So um, I believe we started just talking about Gabrielle as a baby, you know, like her motherhood and they were growing up. Um, and then I, I almost always ask people to take me on a tour of their home. And um, it had been two years since Gabriel disappeared, but his bedroom in their apartment was untouched. So there was this moment of like... I and mean, know, sort of excitement, but also like I'm in when she opened the door to his bedroom, you know, and I got to actually be there to recreate what it looked like when he was there. I interviewed the brother later, Emilio. He came at a different time. I think I had two sit-downs with the mom. His older brother, who's not in this scene, was a, came in late on the first interview, and the younger brother was there for the second interview. And I like to do that to try to triangulate my interviews, because if you only have one source, people might not remember exactly or might not remember specifics or... You know, you can notice someone's going like, that's not what happened, mom. You know, Emilio was much less open than his mom about talking about his brother. But when the two of them got going together, it it really felt like that's when I was able to reconstruct the scene and and kind of relive those awful last moments with them.
0: Now, this one we were able to do before COVID. So you got to see them in person. But I mean, even if you'd had to do this over the phone, you're You're asking them to remember details of that night. You're sort of taking them through it. You're thinking about dialogue, the back and forth between the mom and the son. Lane has always had many more details, like they had come back from Costco that night and, you know, she had the details of what they unpacked from their Costco trip and all kinds of things that just sort of put you in that moment. And then, of course, it was a process of sort of waiting back and trying to figure out just how much we needed for the top. But all those things you can try to get over the phone as well if if you had to.
1: Absolutely. And and sort of it's it's taken a long time for me to learn how to shut up and let people tell their stories. And so I I've, I've gotten to the point now I'll I'll let them go through and then I come back and like just tediously work through the details. Okay, he had an exam the next morning. What class was the exam in? What time was the exam? What campus was the exam on? Where did he park his car? What time did he drop you off work? You know, all those kind of follow-up questions that don't usually make it in the first Telling, when, when someone's just telling you the story. Okay, oh, hey, he had to get up and he had to study for exam. You know, okay, we well, need to really, really draw that out. Was he on the couch or the chair? Did he have a desktop or a laptop? Where was the passcode? How did they find the passcode? You know, and I thought that was an amazing detail when his brother said, no, he etched it into his phone. I mean, that says like, a, almost like a goodbye right there, right? Like, here, have everything. A lot of those details came out, not through the first round of questioning, but through the really kind of tedious follow-up.
0: And this, I mean, it's, it was, it's a story about a missing person case. A lot of what you did for the story kind of feels like detective work. All those things you were just talking about. So you're, you're really sort of trying to draw in the apartment what it looks like. You're trying to pull back, see what the complex looks like. Obviously, there's a lot of question about whether he disappeared right around his, where the apartment is. It's kind of mangroves and swampy and, and then also busy area close by. And so you're doing that. You Googled art. You walked... Places where he might have walked, you're trying to put yourself in his headspace, right?
1: In his headspace and his physical space. Yeah. We, you know, we found out there was a helicopter that searched for him and there wasn't video from the helicopter, that, at least not that we could obtain. So I remember you and I sitting in your office just Google earthing. What would the helicopter have seen? You know, where are the mangroves? Where is the swamp? Where is the. It was on a really busy corner, but with all this, like, wilderness in between them and the apartment complex. So that was really helpful. You know, you can go on and find out exactly what the weather was like. What time was sunrise that morning? How bright was the light? What was the wind like? Was it raining? You know, and then the days after he disappeared, that that came to play because there was a lot of rain and, and kind of flooding in the mangroves. So... All that stuff is recreated. You know, I went to the police, of course, and got whatever they had, which was very scant. And because the case was still open, they were loath to give me, like, the video surveillance video that they had. I didn't get to see that. I had to recreate that by, like, talking to the police about what was on it because they wouldn't show it to me. But, you know, there's a lot of things you can gather like that. We got the the mom eventually gave me the suicide note, which was in span or the alleged suicide note which was in Spanish, um, which thank goodness you could read for me. Um, But, you know, I I didn't want to just say he left a note. Like, what does the note say? And then following up on that, remembering to ask people not only what happened, but what were they thinking or feeling when that happened, right? So what's it like to come home, see your kid's backpack and his phone with the passcode etched in and not have any idea what happened to them, you know? So there was a lot of like secondary reporting about internal dialogue or feelings or thoughts, as well as actions.
0: You want to talk a little bit more about the importance of patience here? Because I think that's one of the things, like you said, you have to train yourself to be quiet and let them talk, but you also, you have to train yourself to just let them say whatever they want to say for a while and then come back to where you want to know more, right? And so in this case, you have this poor woman who's struggling and it's been two years and she's got her demons because she's thinking maybe it was, you know, she giving him a hard time? Did she help drive him to something? You know, she doesn't have answers. And then her having to probe that whole thing and what her own feelings of responsibility and then sharing something as personal as her son's what looks like a suicide note, you know, getting her to a place where she's comfortable telling you all of that. And I mean, obviously in some ways she wants attention to the case. So there's that, but still it's like, it's, it's really tearing open a, a, a wound with her, with his brother too. And so how do you get comfortable with that? You just sort of like, okay, you know that you just, I know we've talked before about note-taking too. You're writing notes to yourself and you're saying, okay, I'm going to come back to whatever point she just made, but I'm not going to interrupt her right now. And it's okay to let her just drift.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think I've been doing this for 30 years and and the hardest stories are usually the ones where someone's lost somebody, you know, but those are also sometimes the easiest ones to convince people to talk because they, it's the only way to keep that person alive. You know, I mean, like you said, she wanted attention on the case, so maybe there'd be some closure. But there was also a lot of tension within the family where the sons thought, "Mm, maybe he just peaced out. You know, maybe our brother just got sick of mom bitching at him and he just like took his stuff and left. And mom completely believed that he was gone and dead. So they couldn't even really talk about it as a family. You know, me being in the middle of all that, obviously I became the catalyst for that. But you could tell each one of them individually had a lot to say. So I also think, you know, as, as great as it is to get people together in the same space to riff off of things and triangulate memories, it's also good to give them space to do it individually. And I gave my cell phone to both of the brothers. Um, the older one called me later. The younger one did not. I called him later and he didn't want to talk anymore. But the mom would call me late at night and just think of things. You know, I think I worked on the story maybe over a course of two weeks and she probably called me four or five times. Like often, I always tell people I'm up late at night. I'm, I'm, Call me whenever. And sometimes I think people open up their feelings or their thoughts a little more when it's dark and quiet. And so we had a lot of conversations that didn't have a whole lot to do with the story just about her son, you know, and her divorce and her family back in the Dominican Republic and, you know, other things that she just wanted to talk about. And I think when you get to that point with your subjects, you know, you're, you're getting in far enough.
0: You're building trust, right? You're developing sort of a, I know these are short relationships, but you're developing a relationship in a way where she gets to know you a little bit too. And she gets to see whether, I mean, she gets to open up about her life. Like you said, things that that were even not going to be included in this story, but just made her feel better. And then that opens the door for you to be able to ask some probing questions.
1: Exactly. Maybe not everybody's comfortable with this, but like I always want to Facebook the people I'm writing about so I can sort of see their movies and their friends and their travels and their what's important to them. And so I tell them to Facebook me, you know, too, so they can see who I am as a person who's not a reporter. And I think especially in COVID and, and isolation and lockdown, that's more important than ever is like just getting getting as much information as you can from people without even being able to be there you know if I had to do this story during the lockdown during quarantine I would have asked Angela to take me with her FaceTime you know FaceTime me Gabriel's room show me what's on the wall show me the guitar where it is show me what's on his desk I could have done it you know I could totally have done it with the restrictions here but as you and I both know being there's much more fun (laughs) To get started, visit plushcare.com/weightloss. That's plushcare.com/weightloss. I also, I also did a walk through at the school. I should say, I wanted to see what his atmosphere was like where he worked, because it wasn't just his family who was struck by this. He had coworkers and friends at uh, the university. So I spent a day at the university, too, seeing his desk where he sat in the student services office and walking from where he would have parked his car up to his first class and, you know, trying to retrace that path, too, which, which is a totally great way to recreate stuff. You know, I knew we didn't use it, but I knew how many steps it was to get from the garage to the class back to the, the student center and stuff like that.
0: So, Lane, going back to if you had done this during COVID, you would have had her walk you through. And that's one of the things that we were talking about, like advice we would give people. So have them help you tell the story. We're all, we're all now that we're working in these kind of environments, doesn't mean that you can't be there to some degree, have them pull out their camera, do a video, capture whatever it is, a, a, you know a location, capture a conversation that you are trying to recreate and have them send that to you. We haven't had to do that a whole lot here of late because Lane has, you know, she's been wearing her mask and going out a fair bit, but that's very helpful. I mean, and, and if you are trying to set a scene and you're trying to kind of explain where we are and show somebody's house and show what their lives are like, that's that's really essential to your to your storytelling.
1: I was thinking about that even with sometimes things you're not allowed to come to or you're not invited to. Like when I was doing the waitress story, I followed a waitress through the first six weeks of quarantine. And I really wanted to come to this meeting at her um, restaurant where they were going to try to decide when they're going to reopen, how they're going to reopen, if they're going to reopen. And her boss didn't want me to be there. So she recorded it. I just said, can you just record so I can hear the dialogue going back and forth? She took a little short video so I could see where people were sitting and what the weather was like under this awning. and, 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 you know, it was enough for a little scene in that waitress story that I wasn't allowed to be at to recreate that moment.
0: Another piece of advice we, we we wanted to pass along is just I, as you know we talked about so in this case Lane got the suicide note but what videos what photos what journal entries what things do they have that help you tell the story of that moment so she had for instance flyers that she had put up and there are things around the house where this young man's face is everywhere and he's there they've got sort of a I mean, you can still feel him. Like Lane said, the room is untouched. So what else can they give you from a distance now that would help you to sort of set the stage, right? And that's, I think you probably get at that too, after you've already, you know, in talking to these folks about what you're going to need, you're explaining to them that you might be asking them for things that are personal, but that you're trying to really capture a better sense of who he was and the situation.
1: Yeah, I mean, and things like yearbooks, you know, I I got the high school yearbook from that year. So I could talk about what his quote was that he wrote under his senior picture. You know, I went to the, the guy who did the banquet at the University of South Florida and found out, you know, they had done this big award in his name. So there were other things that are outside the family, too, that you could report for. And, you know, he had a guitar in his wall. So what songs was he playing? Oh, she had a little notebook of all the songs he was playing on his guitar. Um, video games. I asked his, his mom. was like, I don't know him and his video games. You know, but his brother knew every video game he played and what his high score was. And I think gives you a sense of what kind of person that is. You know, do, those details like did they play sports video games or first person shooter video games or, you know, Mario Brother video games. It gives you a sense of, of personality. So I was reporting for kind of all of those details. and. My wonderful friend, Melissa Little, who's a photographer, she used to work with me and tell people, I'm going to take, you know, 100, 200 pictures of you today, and we're going to run like three. And I kind of tell them that about the reporting, too. You know, I'm going to ask you so many details and things that might not matter and I might not use, but I don't know. And so let me cast this really wide net. It's like casting a cast net, right? Cast this really wide net. You pull out the good stuff and let all the other stuff go.
0: And getting back to that scene that started the story. um, you're reporting for a scene, you know this is a this is a big moment, but you do what you always do, which is you started early and kept the scene going in terms of your reporting, not in terms of what we ended up with in the story, but you so what had life had been like before, you know, he disappeared? What was going on in your lives? What was happening with him? What was happening with you? You know, yada, yada. And then, you know, okay, building up to that day. And then what happened? Well, we, they were going to the store and she had asked him to do this and that. And you got really a lot of details. And then you followed it through even more, like what happens after Emilio finds the note. All of that, I mean, again, it's just sort of like, I guess, encouraging you guys to cast deep and get as much of what that scene as you can, and then make choices about how you're gonna compress that scene and what's really important about that scene. And I think that's also another technique to help people be comfortable in telling the story. So I'm not gonna start with the most painful moment. I'm not gonna start with the moment where he finds the note. I'm gonna start with just sort of an ordinary day where my my kid is lounging around and I'm giving him a hard time because he's not you know, doing what he's supposed to do. Right. That kind of thing is, is, is very helpful. And again, it goes back to patience, which, you know, I just feel like you can't underscore enough.
1: Well, and I'll be honest, I totally thought about starting that story with the moment that they find the note. You know, that's the most dramatic moment. But I, I think it helps with the, the the tension and the context and sort of like drawing the reader in as it's unfolding instead of going, Bam! Bomb drop. Here's what happened. You you kind of build up to that for a moment. It Was like it was a day like any other ordinary day. You know that feeling of like you don't see
0: it coming. You know you don't see it coming in, until you're already invested in it, and there it is. And we kept the tension going so that you would later on. I mean, we didn't we didn't give you the note right after that either. We waited and and let the note come back later, where then you get to figure out. Oh, okay. What what could this have possibly be? Is that really what was happening there? You know, and then you get to hear his own words and then he becomes uh, a character in a way that he really wasn't before then. Um,
1: right. And then there was the secondary tension, too, because, you know, the first question is what happened to him? Is he dead or alive? Did he disappear in his own or did something horrible happen to him? But then also the tension within the family. Like you know, that that we we waited on that too because I thought early on about introducing that. His mom thinks this, his brother thinks this, and I think you told me hold off on that. Let, that's the secondary tension, right? Let's wait on that. So I I think that helped too.
0: So yeah, and I, again, um, so we talked about um, you know being patient, trying to get people to be comfortable, and telling these moments, drawing out all those things we talk about again and again, right? Asking for whatever details they have, asking for things that they collected. Nowadays, if you can, let them, let them share photos, do FaceTime if you have to, you know, do whatever you can to sort of draw it out. But also, I mean, I guess we should talk about I know people worry a little bit sometimes about reconstructing scenes and whether people are how truthful is it? You know, how real does it feel? Can you be certain that such and such a thing happened? It goes back to what you were talking about, I think, in triangulating the information you have as much as possible, checking things out in whatever they tell you. If you can confirm that, if they talk about a sunny day, that's something you can you can certainly check on. And then, I, I don't know about you, I feel like with dialogue, if people are remembering it pretty much the same way, if it's an important day in their life... And you can feel fairly certain that things stand out for them. You know, you might trust it more. If you don't trust the dialogue, you could take it out of quotes. I don't know if you other thoughts you have about about reconstructing there.
1: Yeah, I was just noticing as I reread that top. some parts I paraphrased their memories and some parts are in direct quotes. You know, so I, I think when they were certain of it or when they could confirm that, yeah, that's what mom said, you know, then I felt more comfortable putting it in quotes. The other thing is having people's own words like you said with the suicide note or whether it's the songs they wrote a face I went on he still had a Facebook account so I could quote him at certain points on his Facebook you know his quote from the yearbook bringing those those even the people who can't talk to you back to life is really a cool way of reconstructing scenes you know and I've also found language can help like you can hedge it a little bit if you're not and people usually say oh I don't remember exactly how it happened well you can say that right She's not exactly sure what happened. Everything was kind of a blur in the moment. But two years later, she recalls the blah, 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 the sound of the rain on the window. The cat was upset because he wasn't, you know what I mean? So you can use that language to go, dear readers, it's not necessarily exactly what it was, but here's how they remember it, you know, where here's what sticks in their head.
0: Right. So there are ways to get at it and feel confident that you're telling the truth, but also just to emphasize that you can do some heavy reporting around it and try to bring those, those moments back to life. So... All right, if you have a question for Lane or want to suggest a podcast topic, find us on our Facebook group or email it to Lane at tampabay.com. That's W-R-I-T-E-L-A-N-E at tampabay.com. Join us next week on Wednesday morning for the next podcast. This podcast was produced by Austin Fast. Welcome, Austin. Music was composed and performed by Dan DeGregory. Thanks for listening.